Well, once again, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are celebrating Mother's Day this weekend today. We are in the third week of our series focused again on moving forward in faith. We kicked this off week one focused on moving forward in faith towards Jesus. We talked about how everything we want to do here at Good Shepherd through our ministry must be oriented around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Alex preached and he uh, focused our attention on moving forward in faith with hope. Uh, This idea that uh, God has greater works for us to do and accomplish, and that is a message of hope for the world. Today, we focus on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think as we enter into this time of stewardship, this time of focus on how God is calling us to move forward in faith, it's really important that we understand a very critical paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is very simple. The church does not have a mission. Do you understand that? Our church, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, does not have a mission in the world. Rather, God has a vision and a mission for the world and a body called the church through which that mission comes alive. The church does not have a mission. It's not about us. It's all about God's vision of radiance, love, hope, peace, harmony. And God then has a body, a people called the church through which that vision of beauty, of wholeness, of human flourishing can come to life. You know what's really remarkable about how God operates in our world? Is God doesn't just have this great, big, beautiful vision of a new heaven and a new earth crashing into our broken and fractured world. It's the way in which God seeks to accomplish that vision that is remarkable. God has always used ordinary, broken people like you and me, through which that vision can come to life. That's what I find remarkable. We hear about this in the very beginning of our scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, the story of creation. God, out of delight and out of joy, created the earth, separated the sky from the land, from the waters, created trees and flowers, animals and birds of the air. And and then in God's vision, God created humanity, calling forth life in which God took delight. God's vision from the very beginning of creation was that all of creation would live in harmony with one another. I have this image in my mind's eye of God the creator, God the artist, God the painter, God the sculptor who is delighting in everything God is creating. If you know children, you have children or grandchildren in your life, it's that image I have of of children playing with Play-Doh and look at this, Grandma, (laughs) look at this, Mom, isn't this amazing? Yeah, your little puddle of dough is beautiful, honey. (laughs) 
God delights like a child delights when they bring home that painting that they want to put on the refrigerator that's just marks and colors and scribbles, and yet you know the joy, don't you? As you, as you shower beauty and joy and excitement over your children's art, I believe that's the joy that God has every time God creates. And the creation wasn't just a one-time event. We believe God is continually creating and forming and shaping. And yet, a part of that creation, well, it's broken, it's fractured, it's imperfect. But God continues to choose for that vision of beauty and radiance to come forth in the world through ordinary people. Doesn't take long in the story, does it, for Cain to turn against his brother Abel because he's jealous and to, to harm him? And then there's the stories of Joseph and his brothers and the brothers that turn against him. There's Jacob and Esau, Esau the heel. <laughs> My goodness. The story unfolds through imperfect people like Abraham, who lies about Sarah being his wife and gives her over to Pharaoh. And then there's David, that Pastor Alex loves David. David that we champion as this great king and poet. And yet David is this horribly broken person like you and me. And there's Moses. Moses, who, who's nervous about speaking to Pharaoh. And then we see um, something really remarkable happen. God, God decides to draw even closer to God's people by coming in the form of an infant, a holy, vulnerable being who needed a mother's care. Have you ever considered that Mary and Joseph were just scared kids? Now, certainly we champion Mary as the mother of God, and we hear her magnificat, and we hear the words of this mother who, who cry out, Lord, your will be done through my life. If this is your will, then let emperors fall, <laughs> right? It's beautiful and powerful, and yet I have to imagine that many nights Mary nestling Jesus in her arms was wholly overwhelmed, ill-equipped, and unprepared to raise the child of God, <laughs> If you look through the lineage of Jesus, you'll see over and again imperfect people that have a scandalous past, and yet God uses them. This is really good news for us. Fast forward to John chapter 14, and we see Jesus in the middle of his farewell discourse to his disciples. You see, Jesus himself chose to do ministry with imperfect people who were wholly ill-equipped to do the work. Jesus called fishermen, brothers like James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, and they weren't just fishermen, they were bad fishermen. Do you know that? When Jesus calls them, they had been out all night fishing and they had caught nothing. So think about it. Jesus doesn't even go over to those that are still in early rabbinic school 
He doesn't go to those that are highly learned. He doesn't go to the best students or scholars that come from pristine families. He goes to the young men that are probably 14, 15, 16 years old who are struggling to even make a living fishing. And he says, you, I want you. You're the one that I want to come follow me. And then he goes over to Matthew, who is despised by everyone in society. Do you know that? Matthew's a tax collector. He, he represents these two worlds, right? He interacts with people every day that are struggling to sell goods in the market and feed their family, and he's collecting tax from them, and he's giving it to the emperor or the occupied authority in the land. And Jesus says, that's my perfect disciple. And then Jesus does something really scandalous. He invites women to be a part of his ministry. Women. Now, we don't hear a lot about them in the three or the 12, but we know there's 72, the silent 72, many of whom were women who supported the ministry of Jesus. Jesus included and expanded the understanding for the people of what God's vision was about. Because remember, Jesus comes to show us with a more clear image what God's original vision for life is all about. Beauty, harmony, radiance. Jesus comes to be the first fruits of a new creation. And the way in which Jesus accomplishes this ministry is by using ordinary, broken, confused, overwhelmed people like you and like me. And so here, in John chapter 14, Jesus is trying his very best to encourage those overwhelmed, ill-equipped disciples for what's to come. John chapter 13 through 17, if you had a red letter Bible, one of those Bibles that the words of Jesus are in red is red page after red page after red page after red page. Jesus is pontificating over and again, over and again. And he's really communicating three primary messages, three things that he wants his disciples to understand. All throughout the farewell discourse, Jesus continues to to orient the disciples to that greater vision, that greater vision of the creation, of the healing, of the wholeness. Later in the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, will will get a very beautiful image of what that looks like, right? There's a city filled with people, filled with the noise of the modern world, and yet through the middle of it runs a river and a stream that makes glad the heart of God. There are trees of life that are bearing fruit coming off of that river. Jesus is trying as best he can to help his disciples understand that there's something far bigger God is doing than just the ministry we've done for three years. And at the same time, he's trying to orient them to this great cosmic vision of wholeness. He's also preparing them for something that he knows they will not understand. He will be handed over, he will be crucified, and he will be put to death on a cross. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that the Christ, the Christ, which is the vision of God's wholeness, the vision of God's love, the vision of God's grace, the very Christ will be put to death. 
There's this great big vision of the world, and that vision of the world that is living through Christ, we're going to put to death. And yet, take heart, disciples, because three days later, God will raise the Christ from the grave to show the world once and for all that there's nothing that could demean, divide, cheapen, or fracture God's vision that God cannot overcome. Love and life will ultimately win. Can you imagine how confused the disciples were? Maybe you're feeling confused right now. What are you talking about, Pastor Lauren? God's great big vision of wholeness always comes through suffering, hardship, pain, and brokenness because we're broken people and we live in a broken, imperfect world. And then Jesus starts to communicate one more thing. We heard it last week from Pastor Alex, truly audacious. Jesus says to his disciples, you You, ordinary, confused, overwhelmed people, are going to do greater things than I've done. Say what? Can you say that again, Jesus? Can you imagine Peter? Peter's recalling being at the wedding in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2, and the wine had run out, and Jesus transforms the vessels of ritual washing into wine. We're we're, going to, wait, last I checked, Jesus, I can't make water into wine. And then Peter's also recalling the moment when he got out of the boat, Jesus was on the water and he started walking toward Christ. And then Peter became overwhelmed by the chaos and the waves and the winds and Peter sank into the water and Jesus had to grab him and pull him back up. Peter's probably thinking, how in the world are we going to do what you do? How in the world is this possible? And in our lesson for today, Jesus gives them the answer. Jesus says, it is not because you're strong or you're all of a sudden going to have all the knowledge you need. It's not because you're great that you will do greater things. It is only through the Holy Spirit. It is only through God's spirit of power and love and radiance, the same spirit that was active in the Ruach, the breath of God that breathed into the lungs of creation by which you will do greater things. The Holy Spirit will come. And Jesus calls that spirit an advocate. The Greek word here in the Koine Greek is a paraclete. And a paraclete is one who we know walks alongside. I have this image of the Holy Spirit being uh, somebody that walks side by side with us throughout life. Other places in Scripture, we hear about the Holy Spirit going before us, going behind us. Jesus even says here in John 14, the Holy Spirit will be in you. The very life force of God that will equip you and generation after generation and generation of Christians, people of faith, to do greater works than these. In other words, don't confuse it, disciples. Don't confuse it, church. Don't get confused, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. We're not going to do great things for God because we have a great mission. God has a mission, God has a vision. God has a body called the church that is broken and imperfect. And through that body, through the help of the Holy Spirit, greater things will happen. My senior year in college at Ohio State, 
In the springtime, it happened again. It happened every year that I was at Ohio State. And it happens across college campuses all over the nation. Those fire and brimstone, Bible belt, Bible thumping preachers start to arrive. You familiar with this? At Ohio State, every year when I was there, it was Brother Jed and Sister Sally. And they would come with what I call, excuse me, Lord, minions. They would come with their minions, their little disciples, and they would descend on the oval right in the heart of campus. And they would bring huge poles, 30-foot tall poles with banners that would say, repent or burn in hell. You've seen these before? Maybe you've seen them at the University of Cincinnati. Maybe you've seen them outside of Great American Ballpark. Uh, They had a very clear agenda and purpose. They would go right to the heart of campus with a megaphone and some milk crates, and they would literally stand on top of them with their banners, and they would berate and yell at students horrible things, all under the guise and banner of Christianity. And what they wanted to accomplish is that they wanted a whole group of students to gather around them so that they would have a captive audience. And without fail, what always happened? Hundreds of students would gather around them, not to listen and be encouraged, but to argue and fight. They loved this. This is what they wanted. And it used to make me so sick to my stomach. Because as I was a senior in college, I knew what was next for my life. I had already been accepted to Trinity Lutheran Seminary. I wanted to set out to to, to be ordained and to become a pastor. And, And I used to walk past Brother Jed and Sister Sally. And I used to think, man, these are the people that are giving like me a bad name. And other people that I know that are people of good faith, that understand God is one of grace and welcome and love. Oh. Every Wednesday at Jacob's Porch, the Lutheran campus ministry at Ohio State, we had a Bible study. And we'd gather around in a circle and we'd read the word. And, and all spring, I would go to this Bible study. And Brother Jed and Sister Sally, my senior year, were there for multiple weeks. They were just really locked into the Buckeyes. And every week, I'd come to the Bible study. And it wouldn't take long for one of the students around the group to bring up Brother Jed and Sister Sally. Did you hear what they said today? Can you believe what they're doing? And finally, one week, I spoke up and I said, you know, you know, what, you, know, you know what's really horrible about all this? It's not what they're doing. It's what we're not doing. You know what's really horrible about it is they're the only ones that go out there to preach and, 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 and they're the only ones that are bold enough to stand up and, 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 and preach what they think is true. Where are the people who believe that God is love, God is grace, God is good? Where are those Christians? Why doesn't someone go out there to do that? And sitting right next to me... <laughs> was Nick Billardello. Nick Billardello was a third-year seminary student at Trinity Lutheran Seminary, the seminary that I was accepted into. And Nick got this twinkle in his eyes and this little smile on his face, and he looked at me and he said, well, why don't you do something about it, Lauren? (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, somebody like you, Nick, you've, you've had preaching class. Somebody like Pastor Jay, who's been preaching for 15 years, he said, no, I think this is on your heart. You need to do it. And I said, no, Nick. No. He said, no, really. 
Tuesday, 10 a.m. You're going to go to the Oval, and I'm going to be there. Oh, and better yet, I'm going to bring five of my classmates from the seminary. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to bring five of my classmates, and we're going to be your audience, and you're not getting out of this. (sighs) I swear that weekend, I thought every day, how can I get out of this? Do I feel a stomach bug or not? I have a test or an exam. But I knew, I knew Nick wasn't going to let me get out of it. He sent me a text message, 9 a.m. that Tuesday. Hey, I've got seven seminary students ready to come. (sighs) Meet me at the Oval. Bring your Bible. So I walked down to the Oval, and there's Nick and all these students. And they sat down, and they said, no, I sat down with them. (laughs) And they said, no, you stand up. And there's Brother Jed and Sister Sally, literally probably 100 or more students around them, and they're screaming with their megaphone. And he said, tell me about God, Lauren. What what do you mean? Well, tell me about God. Tell me a story from your life that that God spoke to you. What's your favorite verse? I said, well, I got that. It's John 10.10. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, tell me what abundant life looks like. And little by little, Nick and the other students were drawing out my faith. Now, here's what's remarkable. What's remarkable? Four hours later, 200 students were around Nick and I. And Brother Jed and Sister Sally were sitting alone. I do not share that to say that I was some great preacher. I was better than them. I was. (laughs) I share that story to illustrate for you what the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit actually looks like in our lives. It was Nick. I'm not the hero of that story. It's Nick. Nick was the one who came alongside me, comforted me. You can do this. You can do this. And at the same time, challenged me to get out there and to swim past the breakers. If it were left up to me alone, I could have never done this. It is through the Holy Spirit working in Nick and those other students that greater things were done. You can still find it somewhere on Ohio State's website. The student newspaper is called The Lantern. There was an article written about it that I was interviewed for. It was remarkable. The reason I illustrate that is because here we are, Good Shepherd. We are right in the heart of our stewardship. Next weekend, you and I are encouraged to bring forward our commitments toward this ministry. Financial, of course, We need resources to do the work God has called us to do. In addition to that, next weekend is an opportunity for each of us to bring our whole self forward and to recognize and acknowledge that we, the broken and imperfect body of Christ, is invited to join into God's mission of love and life and wholeness and healing in the world. This is what we're doing. We are invited to join God in restoring things that are broken, fractured, and divided. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that we are both challenged and comforted along the way. So as you make your financial commitments, 
As you make commitments, renewed commitments of your time, your talent, your treasure, where you will give your energy and attention, I pray that you do not do it through the lens of scarcity, which always asks the question, what can I do? What do I have time for? How am I equipped? Instead, may we ask the question, through the Holy Spirit, what could God do with me? Through God's spirit of abundance and joy, what more could we do? And as we move forward in faith, we're going to face challenges like disciples have faced all the way back to Peter, James, and John. We're going to face them. The world is tricky. It's hard. It's imperfect. But by golly, we're going to cling to the spirit of our Lord. You know, it wasn't those disciples on Pentecost It wasn't through their own strength and their own might that they went out to the four corners of the world telling people about Jesus. It was through the Holy Spirit. It was through the advocate. It was through God's reign of love and justice and peace. Mary, mother of God, had the strength to nurture and raise and and rear Jesus, not because she was some great mom. She did so because the Spirit of God was with her, like the Spirit of God is with every mother, every father, every parent figure who's trying to figure it out. Moses was able to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go free, not because he was great, because God's Spirit was with him. Jesus was able to stand before Pilate and the guards and the soldiers that pierced his hands and pierced his side, not because he was supernaturally human and strong and perfect, but because it was God's spirit living in him that could cry out, Father, forgive them. If you hear anything today, hear this. You are broken. You are imperfect. You, like me, we're we're weak but it is through our weakness that God's Holy Spirit is made evident in this world. And do not count out the work of the Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to bring about a revival of our hearts, of our souls, of our minds, of our resources for God's mission in the world. So next weekend, when you bring that little piece of paper forward and you put it in an offering plate, when you show up to serve at Taft Elementary, when you show up, and you put your minds together about the next evolution down at the Edge House, when you give yourself to Habitat for Humanity, when you give yourself to the work of ministry God gives us to do, know that it's the Holy Spirit living through you. And in that, in that we find hope. Amen.